Uh, Sue and I were at a friend's house for dinner the other night, and we were reminded of the fact that our, our hostess dad, uh, back in the day, was a music director for Billy Graham. Now, most of you know who Billy Graham is, or was, he just passed away at the age of 99, world-famous evangelist and a, a spiritual advisor to every president since Harry Truman. Well, our hostess showed us a picture of her dad on the platform with Billy Graham back in 1973. That's her dad on the left. And you, you see the people in the background? This was the fifth day of a five-day campaign in Seoul, Korea. 1.1 million people showed up to listen to Dr. Graham that day. Uh, probably one of the largest assemblies in the history of the world to hear a preacher to hear a preacher. Now, uh, Mr. Graham concluded his sermon that day as he, he always does with a challenge. He said to the vast crowd that was there, he said, if you are, are willing to turn away from all other gods and surrender your lives to Jesus Christ, I want you to stand to your feet. And 12,000 people that day leaped to their feet. Just amazing. Uh, Dr. Graham preached the good news about Jesus all around the world, over 300 million people heard him preach in 85 countries. He felt that he had been commissioned, commissioned by Jesus Christ to take his good news to the world. And historians tell us he was probably the greatest evangelist since the first century apostle Paul. Now Paul too believed that he had been commissioned, commissioned by God to take the good news to the ends of the earth. You, you might know his conversion story, tr dramatic conversion story. He had been a persecutor of Christ followers. He'd been a very devout Jew who believed that the Christian faith was a blasphemous cult, so he was going to stamp it out. And he went from city to city looking for Christ followers to round them up, get them thrown in jail or killed. So one day he's on his way to the city of Damascus and a light in the sky so bright he, he later said it outshone the sun. It was more brilliant than the sun. It knocked him to the ground. And Jesus, the risen Christ, spoke to Paul and he said, Paul, your life's about to change. I'm going to make you a spokesperson for the very faith that you have been trying to eliminate. And that's exactly what happened. In the book of Acts, you can read the book of Acts for yourself. It's a book of history of the early church. And it tells us about one missionary journey after another that Paul took to take the good news about Christ all around the world. So you got Billy Graham, you got the Apostle Paul commissioned, commissioned by Christ to take the good news to the ends of the earth. Well, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus... You too are commissioned in a similar way to take the good news everywhere. In fact, this is part of your identity as a Christ follower. Okay, we're in the fifth week of a six-part series on personal identity. Where do you get your personal identity? The, the series is called True Self, Finding Your Identity in Christ. And our textbook for this series has been the first three chapters of the epistle of Ephesians. So I'm going to ask you to turn right there. If you, you brought a Bible with you, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3. Each week of this series, Pastor Clayton or I, we're, we're trying to come up with one word that sums up the passage that we're studying. It is a one-word identity marker. If you're a Christ follower, a one-word identity marker from the text. And today our word is commission. 
Say commissioned with me. Commissioned. Good. We are commissioned. And what we're going to do is take a look at four aspects of this commissioning. If you haven't taken your outline out, I encourage you to do so right now. Follow along, fill it in as we go. The first aspect of being commissioned has to do with what the Apostle Paul calls the mystery. So number one, the the mystery. Let me read today's passage to you. You're going to hear the word mystery pop up four times. So if you got your own Bible, we love to mark up Bibles around here, just circle the word mystery every time you hear it. So beginning at verse 1 of Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given me for you, that is the mystery, the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are for your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Now, mystery is one of the key words in this passage. As I said, pops up four times. One of Paul's favorite words in his New Testament epistles pops up 21 times in his New Testament letters. So if you're a Christ follower, God has commissioned you, and he's given you a mystery to share with other people. Now, now, now that may sound a bit strange to you, that you've been given a mystery to to share. If it sounds strange, it's because the word mystery in English doesn't mean what mystery meant to the Apostle Paul as he wrote Ephesians in Greek. Okay, our English word mystery means something dark, something obscure, something puzzling. Uh, Sue and I love to read books out loud to each other, and often we'll choose a mystery, a whodunit story, and as one of us is reading to the other, we'll stop and we'll say, okay, right, right now, who do you think did it? You know, who committed this murder? We're trying to figure it out before we get to the end of the story. Okay, that's not mystery in the Ephesians sense. Okay, mystery in Greek wasn't dark and obscure and, and, and puzzling. Mystery was a secret that had been kept hidden for a time but was now being revealed to everybody. Okay, a secret that for a time had been kept hidden but is now being revealed to everybody. And the people who get to do the revealing experience great joy. Let me give you an example of the kind of mystery that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. Here at Christ Community Church, 
Uh, we just finished a very successful two-year, $11 million capital campaign called Next. And uh, because we finished successfully, we are able to complete a bunch of really cool projects. I mean, everything from uh, adding a student wing, student ministries wing onto our campus uh, in Blackberry Creek, a hub, uh, to, uh, to uh, putting a, uh, a uh, facility up for the training of pastors in Sierra Leone, to purchasing a building in downtown DeKalb that we could use as a community center, uh, our DeKalb campus teaching English as a second language to Spanish-speaking uh, people in DeKalb. We were able to complete all those projects. Now, back in fall, we weren't sure we were going to reach our $11 million goal. And so there was a time when our leadership team got together and we had to decide if we don't reach $11 million, what projects are we going to cut? I mean, what are we going to leave on the editing room floor? We can't do everything if we don't reach the goal. And then a miracle happened. All through the month of December, people kept giving and giving and giving and giving. And when we tallied up the amount in the middle of January, it totaled over $11 million. And when I saw that, I was ecstatic. I mean, I wanted to shout the news from the rooftops. I wanted to go on social media, tell everybody everywhere about it, but I couldn't. Because we had told you we weren't going to announce it until the first weekend in February. So I had a secret I had to sit on for two weeks. I don't know if you're good at keeping secrets. I'm terrible at keeping secrets. You know, when my two daughters, when each of them got pregnant the first time, they sat me down and said, Dad, you can't tell anybody, okay? Promise, Dad, look at us. You know, Sue threatened me back then. <laughs> Jim, if you tell anybody... So I'm not good at keeping secrets, so it was such a relief, such a joy, such a celebration the first weekend in February to say, we reached our goal, we got $11 million, we're going to do all this cool stuff for the building of Christ's kingdom. See, that's what Paul is talking about here when he says we get to reveal the mystery. Those of us who are Christ followers, we've been commissioned to reveal to the world a wonderful secret. What's the secret? Let's go back to the text, look at verse 6, where the Apostle Paul spells out what the mystery, what the secret is. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, gospel is another word for good news, through the good news, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. They're members of one body, they're shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, let me explain what Paul's saying here. Throughout the pages of the Old Testament, God had promised to, to the Jewish people that one day he would send them a Messiah, a Savior. And, and many Jews who heard this, they, they just assumed that the Messiah would be a political leader. He would be a, a military leader who would bring them freedom, relief from the tyranny of whatever superpower was oppressing them at the time. But God said through his prophets, I think especially the prophet Isaiah in this regard, that the Savior would come to deliver his people not just from a political power, but from a, a much worse tyranny, from the tyranny of sin. See, the Bible teaches that our, our sin cuts us off from a relationship with a holy God. And because this holy God is the giver of life, he's the source of life, to be cut off from God is certain death. That's the penalty for sin, death. 
So the Messiah, the Savior that God sends to the world comes to take the death we deserve to die. He takes the penalty in our place and in return offers us the gift of forgiveness and new life. This is how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 53 verse 5. And this is written over 700 years before Jesus comes to earth. Isaiah says he will be pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace will be on him, and by his wounds, we will be healed. Well, because this promise, this prophecy was given to the Jews in the Old Testament, they just assumed that the promise was exclusively for them, that the Messiah was their Savior, only theirs. Now, interestingly, God hinted at the fact that this was not the case, that the Savior would be for everyone who surrenders to him. And once again, through the prophet Isaiah, God says it's too small a thing that the Messiah should save only Israel. No, Isaiah 49 verse 6 says, God says through the prophet, he said, the Messiah will be a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus came to the planet, when Jesus died on the cross to pay sin's penalty, When Jesus rose from the dead to offer forgiveness and life, it was for everyone who would surrender to him. This was the mystery. This was the secret that the Apostle Paul tells Christ followers to announce to everybody. You know, to go about announcing if you'll surrender to Jesus, he will give you forgiveness and new life. He'll make you a member of his chosen people, a group that consists not only of Jews, but of everyone that claims Jesus as Savior and King. You get it? Good. See, the good news, the mystery is that Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is for your boss at work. Let that sink in. Jesus is for your best friend at school. Jesus is for the buddies you've been watching the March Madness tournament with. Jesus is for your Uncle Billy who just discovered this week he's got cancer. Jesus is for the women in your book club. Jesus is for the children you teach in Kids World. Jesus is for the Muslim family that just moved into the neighborhood next door to you. And the good news goes beyond these people that you know. The good news is for people at the homeless shelter in town where you can serve through Christ Community Church or for the residents of the nursing home or the crisis pregnancy center where you can volunteer. The good news is for the at-risk children in the public school that you can mentor through our Kids Hope Ministry The good news is for the Spanish-speaking people of DeKalb that you could teach English to at our newly purchased community center. And, and, And the good news goes beyond these local people. It's for villagers in Sierra Leone and urban atheists in the Czech Republic. It's for river river tribes along the Amazon in Brazil and for the poorest of the poor in Haiti and Nicaragua and Bangladesh. And you could take your your pick of any of the places I just mentioned because we've, we've got partners in each of those countries. You could go on a go team and share the good news with them. King Jesus has commissioned you, if you're one of his followers, to take the good news to everybody everywhere. 
news of his salvation to your friends and family? Yes, start there. But don't stop there. Take it to the needy people of our community through a community impact ministry. Take it to the lost people around the world on one of our GO teams. The good news is for the world. This is the secret. This is the mystery to say to people, Jesus is for you. Number two, second aspect of this commission has to do with the mandate. The mandate. My administrative assistant, Don, recently took a a phone call from a young man uh, who is a freshman at one of our our local community colleges. And uh, he's taking a course in world religions and was required to interview a religious leader. So he called up Christ Community Church hoping to talk to the pastor. So I said, said to Don, oh, by all means, let's, let's do this. Let's set this up. So I, I met this guy at a local coffee shop, and he came with a long list of questions. I love to do this. And one of the questions was, you know, about halfway through his list, he says, so how do you see yourself with respect to God? Okay, do you, do you see yourself as God's child? Do you see yourself as God's servant? Uh, do you see yourself as God's friend? And, and I said, yes. All of the above. Now, friends, uh, many Christ followers, many Christ followers see themselves solely in terms of a familial relationship with God. You know, he's my loving father. I am his much adored child. That's it. But the Apostle Paul had a broader view of his relationship with God. Take a look at a couple of expressions that Paul used to describe his relationship with God in Ephesians 3. Starting with verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You ever call yourself that, prisoner? Now, what is Paul trying to emphasize with that title? He was trying to emphasize that Jesus was in absolute control of his life, sovereign control of his life. See, at the time that Paul wrote this letter, uh, this epistle to the Ephesians, he was literally in prison. Uh, He was awaiting trial before Emperor Nero. But Paul wanted the readers of Ephesians to know he was not a prisoner of Nero, no. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ because he was exactly where Jesus sovereignly had placed him. He had commissioned him to share the good news everywhere, even in jail. Friends, this is one of the wonderful aspects of seeing ourselves as commissioned. You know, we've always got a purpose to serve no, no matter where we are. I mean, always. Every situation is potentially a good news opportunity. Sitting in the doctor's office, waiting to see him, good news opportunity. Carpooling to work, good news opportunity. You know, riding the bench as a second stringer on the basketball team, it's a good news opportunity. Having lunch with a customer, good news opportunity. Talking to the guy who's trying to fix your fender at the body shop, good news opportunity. See, those who identify themselves as commission always have this sense of of purpose wherever they are. They're prisoners of Christ. They're serving time, sharing the good news wherever Jesus puts them. Now drop down to verse 7, because I want you to see another title 
by which Paul goes, which, which also underscores the fact that Jesus is in charge of Paul's life. See, Paul doesn't do whatever Paul uh, wants to do. Paul lives to obey Jesus. Paul lives to f- fulfill the commission that Jesus has given him. And so in verse 7, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. A servant of this gospel. So if Jesus commissioned Paul to share the good news, that's exactly what Paul was going to do. Why? Well, because Jesus is my master and I'm his servant. End of story. Sometimes Christ followers see sharing the good news of Christ as, as, as optional. You know, if you're an outgoing, extroverted person, it's for you, but it, you know, it's not for me. Friends, where, where did we get the idea that we could claim Jesus as Savior and Lord, Lord, boss, master, and still reject his direct command to tell others about him? See, a command is a mandate. It's not a suggestion, it's a mandate. Now, let me quickly add that even though sharing the good news is a mandate, once we start doing it, we quickly realize it doesn't feel like a got to, it feels like a get to. It doesn't feel like a got to, it feels like a get to. We're actually being asked to do something that brings unbelievable joy, rich reward to our lives. I don't know if you've ever seen... uh, comedian Jerry Seinfeld's stand-up routine about Halloween, uh, one of my favorites. Okay, Jerry says that when he was a boy, he loved Halloween. Uh, initially, didn't understand it, but, you know, he was really into candy. Okay, and so before his first Halloween, a friend took him aside and said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get like a truckload of candy dumped on you. <laughs> Jerry's like, this is really great. And so the friend said, well, you know, just, just a second here. In order to do this, you, you've got to dress up in a really silly, uncomfortable costume. And Jerry said, I can do that. And he said, but then you've got to go door to door with a bag, and you've got to ring doorbells and, you know, all through the neighborhood. And Jerry said, I can do that. See, he knew the reward was all his candy. I can do that. This is what it's like to share the good news of Jesus. Yes, it's a mandate, but when we recognize the reward, we say, I can do that. This is what the Apostle Paul says in verses 7 and 8. Go back to those. Verse 7, he says, I became a servant of this gospel. It's a mandate. I'm going to do what Jesus said, but it's by the gift of God's grace given me. It's a gift of grace. Sharing the good news of Jesus is not an obligation. It's a privilege, Paul says. It's not burdensome. It's a blessing. He continues on in the very next verse, although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace, this grace was given me. What grace? To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. I mean, who gets to do this, Paul says. I'm the, I'm the, the, the less than the least of God's people. I love his poor grammar in this verse. See, if you know your grammar, you know that least is a superlative. You don't get any worse than the least. But Paul says, "Uh, excuse me, I'm less than the least. He breaks all the grammar rules to say, I'm I'm just a nobody. In, In fact, I'm a guy who when Jesus saved me, I was persecuting Christ followers. I was a violent man. I was a dirtbag. And look at the privilege I've been given of sharing the good news of Jesus with others. 
you're a Christ follower, is that how you see the mandate of sharing the good news about Jesus? Is it this amazing privilege? Or is it something you regularly avoid? Maybe even dread. Have you convinced yourself that you could never, you could never share Jesus with a friend or family member? Have you convinced yourself you, you could never go on one of those go team trips? Okay, I mean, for starters, you've, you've never been out of the country, and you don't sleep well when it's not in your bed, and you don't eat strange food. They eat caterpillars in some of these places, right? And they're going to put you on a team of people you don't know, and they're going to be speaking languages wherever you go that you, you, know, you don't understand, and you'll probably end up in Brazil, and there are alligators in the Amazon River. You'll get eaten, right? You can come up with all sorts of reasons not to go on a go team trip. What you really need to do is sit down and talk to somebody who's been on a go team. You need to listen to them tell you about the personal rewards. You know, one of the things I love to do, all of our people who, we have several hundred people go every year. And when they come back, they fill out a feedback form. And I like to read through some of those feedback forms and see the way in which God stretched people and used people and the amazing stories they have to tell. You know, like just recently, a team that came back from Nicaragua, a team of women that included two hairdressers. And, and part of their assignment, they not only beautified some of those Nicaraguan women by doing their hair, they actually taught four Nicaraguan women how to cut hair so that in the future they've got a skill that brings their family an income. Just an added bonus to the blessing of sharing the good news about Jesus everywhere. The mandate it's not, it's not a got to, it's a get to. Third aspect of this commission, the method. The method. I keep referring to sharing the good news about Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, some Christ followers say, well, it's mostly done by acts of kindness. You, you do some act of loving service, and you don't even have to say anything. You know, that's sharing Christ with others. Uh, people who take this approach are fond of quoting St. Francis of Assisi, who supposedly said, and I say supposedly because every time I go to look up this quote, I find out that nobody knows who said it, and certainly not St. Francis. But he supposedly said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. If you mean you don't have to use words? Really? Let's see what the Apostle Paul says about that. Two verbs I want you to look at in verses 8 and 9 that describe Paul's method of sharing Christ with others. Middle of verse 8, Paul says, This grace was given me, okay, this privilege, this blessing was given me, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Circle the word preach. I'm going to give you a definition. It doesn't refer to a guy who stands up and speaks for 40 minutes from the Bible in a weekend worship service of a, of a church. The word literally in the Greek text means to announce good news. That's what preach means. To announce good news. To announce good news, friends, requires words, right? Right? I mean, let's say this evening you're interested in catching the news and you turn on CNN and they, they, they tell you, we're going to do something different, something creative. We're not going to use words, this newscast. We're going to act out. We're going to mime the news today. How do you mime 
nuclear arms talks with North Korea. How do you mime? Mr. Trump is having another fracas with the news media. How do you mime the, the Bulls win in overtime? You get that one? Overtime. You can't tell the news without words. You can't tell the good news without words. Drop, drop down to the opening line of verse 9. Take a look at another verb that Paul uses to describe sharing Christ. He says at the beginning of the verse that he likes to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. To make plain this mystery. Okay, we've already seen that mystery is the good news that Christ offers salvation to everybody, not just Jews. So, so what does Paul do with this good news according to verse 9? He makes it plain to everybody. Make plain in the original Greek text is the word enlighten. And what Paul's saying here is you know, people are in the dark spiritually. You know, people don't know who Jesus is. You know, people don't know what Jesus has done for them. People don't know how to begin a relationship with Jesus. They're in the dark. So I want to turn the lights on. I want them to get it. I want them to understand. And so I explain carefully the gospel to them. Can you do that? Can, can you explain the good news about Jesus clearly to somebody else? Now, at Christ Community Church, we equip you with a really simple tool to help you do that. It's called our, our God's Good News Booklet. And if you've never picked one up, they're available at the information counter. In fact, they're available at the exits of each of our auditoriums today. Uh, pick one up. Even if you never use it with somebody else, you ought to sit down and read it through several times until you think you could summarize its contents for somebody else. It's just a few pages long, but it's got Bible verses and diagrams explaining the good news about Christ. Uh, Sue and I are always... You know, we're carrying a couple copies of the God's Good News booklet with us because we never know when we're going to need it. You know, so sometimes you have an opportunity, an extended conversation where you can walk right through the booklet with somebody else. Sometimes you have like three minutes, just enough time to say, hey, here's something I think you might like to read, and you pass it on. We had the opportunity uh, last week on a date on Thursday night to do that twice. You know, I was taking Sue into the symphony, loved to go to the symphony. We were taking the train into the city. We got into the city. We went to a nice restaurant, and as we sat down uh, for our meal, and the meal was delivered by the waitress, uh, we bowed our heads, and I led in prayer, and we finished. And the elderly couple sitting next to us, the guy said, that was really nice. And so I looked at him, and I said, well, uh, you know, what do you say? I said, uh, I'm a thankful guy. I got a lot to be thankful for. And we, we chit-chatted a little bit, went back to our meal. When we got ready to leave, we got our, our bill, and we stood up, and we had about a three-minute conversation with this elderly couple. Just enough time to find out he's a retired psychiatrist, uh, to find out he's an author who's currently writing another book on the, the history of morality. Uh, yeah, and that they're on their way to the symphony as well. So we got to run, and Sue reaches into her purse you know, this is a crowded restaurant. This isn't an extended opportunity for conversation. But she gives him a God's Good News booklet and says, I think you'll really enjoy this. 
And as we left, the lady's smiling and she's waving the booklet saying, I'm going to read this. And so we go to the concert. And after the concert, we're riding home on the train and I'm reading a book and Sue's dozing a little bit. And there are a couple of college-age guys across the aisle and one seat up. And I can't help but overhear the conversation. And the one guy's saying to each other how difficult it is to sustain a life purpose. Like, where do you find a life purpose that's big enough to motivate you for life? I'm thinking, oh, well. (laughs) But I want to read my book. (laughs) So eventually, I know God's not going to let me off the hook, so I close the book, and I lean forward, and I said, guys, I'm I'm not eavesdropping, but I couldn't help but hear what you said about life purpose. And you may have heard this from somebody before, but when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, he gave me a huge life purpose. And boom, the conversation is off and running. Now, unfortunately... The conversation was off and running two stops from home. And so we had like seven or eight minutes. So what do you do? Well, I had a God's Good News booklet left and gave it to one guy, and Sue dished another one out of her purse to the the other guy. And then we prayed like crazy that, you know, they'd read them. What's your method for sharing the good news about Jesus? It takes words. Something's got to be said. And even if you never get around to going through a God's Good News booklet with somebody, the words that come out of your mouth could be, hey, Easter's two weeks away. You going anywhere, any church? Why don't you come with us? Have you invited somebody to Easter services? You know, I keep sharing with you that every survey they do shows that unchurched people, if they were invited by a friend, say they're they're likely to go. So they're just waiting for your invitation. Will you say it? Will you speak the will you say to somebody at school this week or somebody at work, I just got the coolest answer to prayer? You just drop that into a conversation. Some cool answer to prayer. Or I just read something in the Bible today that you know that really moved me. Doesn't take a lot to get a conversation going, but it takes words. Fourth, here's the fourth aspect of our commissioning. I'm calling it the manifestation. As we come to the end of today's passage, Paul continues to emphasize the fact that the good news about Jesus, that the the mystery is God's big secret that he has commissioned us to reveal to the world, to, to everybody, everywhere. And when people respond to this good news, when people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, they are added to the church. And the church... You're not going to believe this. The church is the manifestation, Paul says, of God's wisdom and love and power to all of the unseen forces in the universe. The church is the manifestation of God's wisdom to angels and to demons. Now, lest you think I'm exaggerating, let me just read to you the text, verses 10 and 11. This is really over-the-top language. Paul says, God's intent was that now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Angels and demons are closely observing what God is up to. We can't see them, but they can see us. And Paul says, let me tell you what amazes them. What amazes them is the church. They they look at this gathering of people and what do they see? They see people who deserve death. 
People who decided many times every day to disconnect from the giver of life, but instead of dealing them death, God sends his son who dies on the cross to take the penalty they deserve to pay. And now he offers them freely as a gift to all who will surrender to him forgiveness and new life. And they say, we can't believe this. And not only, it goes beyond that. They look at this gathering of people and what they see is such diversity They see people from every race, every ethnicity, every cultural background, every economic strata, every language, and they're working together to reach a world, to serve people. They're loving each other. And they say, what is going on here? What is this? They can't believe it. They can't believe it. Paul says, In verse 10, that the church demonstrates to the unseen powers the manifold wisdom of God. You see that word manifold? It means literally multicolored. The multicolored wisdom of God. It was a Greek word in Paul's day that was used to describe a a field of wildflowers or a beautiful tapestry, multicolored. God's multicolored wisdom is displayed in a church that is rich in diversity and yet operating in unity, in harmony. Angels and demons look on and they're awestruck, Paul says. Sue, Sue just bought me for my birthday a couple of prints, a couple of photographs. She found them at an art shop in Geneva. Uh, She knows I love the Fox River Trail. We have hiked and biked that trail hundreds of times over the last 30 years. And so she walked into this art shop and saw all these gorgeous photos of the Fox River Trail taken at different places, places we recognize. And uh, she couldn't make up her mind. There were two kinds of photos. There there were those done sepia tones. Okay, you've seen those, all brown color. They look kind of smoky. And then those in color. So rather than deciding, she thought she'd better bring me in and say, here's your birthday gift. Choose a couple of prints. So I looked at the sepia tones, and they were cool. But then I looked at the color photos that get transferred to canvases, and oh, my goodness, they popped. Seeing these photos in, in living color took my breath away. And that's the church friends. That's the truth. The more diverse we are, the more we manifest the manifold, the multicolored wisdom of God. So let me say we are thankful for every little bit of diversity we see at Christ Community Church. Every bit of diversity in race and language and education and economic level and and, and so on. And I would say we want more diversity. We, we, We want more diversity. But but we also pursue this diversity. Listen, we also pursue this diversity by promoting Go Team trips that will give you the opportunity to work with our partners around the world. And you'll meet partners who look absolutely nothing like the pastoral staff at Christ Community Church. And, And you'll worship with churches, with ministries that are nothing like us and they have so much to teach us. Now, if you've never gone on a go team, your picture of the church, I'm sorry to say, it's sepia tones. It's like one hue color, okay? One. And God, God wants you to see his church in living color. God wants you, if you're a Christ follower, he wants you to marvel at what angels and demons marvel at. His church around the world. 
And so as I bring this sermon to, to a close today, you know, some of our applications might be things like, you know, pick up some God's good news booklets on your way out. They're available at the door, you know, and read it through and think about sharing it with the friend. Pick up some invitations to our, our Easter services and pass them out at school or at work or, or in the neighborhood. But the most important application of all that I want to drive home as we close is go on a go team trip. Go on a go team. In fact, we're going to end in a very special way today. Something very unusual for us. We're going to close in a song. I'm going to ask you across our four campuses in just a moment to stand to your feet. But as we sing, I want some of you to come to the front of the auditorium where you're worshiping. If you are willing to go on a go team trip in the next 12 months, I want you to slip out of your, your row and I want you to come to the front. Now, we're not going to embarrass you. We're just going to close the service. And in my closing prayer, I'm going to pray over you. And your, your pastor at the other campuses is going to pray over you. And, and there may be reasons in your mind right now where you're already telling yourself, well, I couldn't do that. Okay, well, we've got young kids, so we can't both go to Bangladesh or Nicaragua. Well, you know, around Christ Community Church, it's not uncommon for one married partner to go on one trip and another one on another trip. And they cover the home base while the other one's on the go team trip. Or maybe you're a middle school or you're a high school student and you're, you're waiting to see what adults do this. You're one of the people we want on a go team trip, you students. And so don't wait to see what mom or dad are going to do. You know, you come forward if God's leading you. I believe that God's been speaking to a bunch of us today that, yes, this sounds like a great privilege I want to be part of. Some of you are going to come to the front who've been on a go team before. Some of you are going to come to the front who've never been on a go team. You're just kind of throwing your hat over the fence and saying, oh, now i got to go get the hat, right? Some of you are telling yourself right now, I'm glad I'm in the middle of the row because I can't get out past six people, right? You push them out into the aisle right? You just get them started. So we're going to close with this song of praise, a song that says, I will be a carrier of God's love to the nations. Now, one last word of warning. If you don't come forward, you think you're getting away with something? No, you got a responsibility. If you don't come forward, you got to give to the people who come forward because they're going to have to raise funds. So get your checkbook ready, all right? As if you're not, not going to come, then you've got to commit to praying and giving and supporting in whatever way you can the ministry of those who come forward. Who's going to come? Who's going to say this year, in the next 12 months, I'm going on a go team? Let's stand together across our four campuses right now. Let's sing from our hearts. And when we get to that you know, part in the chorus where we're singing from our heels, move out of your row and come on to the front of your, your auditorium so your pastors can pray over you in closing. Let's sing.